You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, this is David's pick. And we always um, have a veteran on uh, telling uh, what they did. And uh, generally it's a Vietnam veteran. But uh, I started something uh, about two months ago because of my best friend that's uh, a Vietnam veteran. And uh, I think uh, our guest today has a little bit of... Is, has a little bit of uh, commonality with uh, my friend J-Roy. Uh, J-Roy was uh, hit and sprayed with Agent Orange, which he's had complications from since he returned from Vietnam. And uh, a couple of months ago, he was, well, he had had to have part of his tongue removed because of a cancerous tumor on his tongue. And uh, as he was in surgery, I was about to start this show, and I decided, you know, let's just take a moment of silence and just thank God for our veterans and all those that have served and are serving. I have a son that's serving right now. And uh, how important our military past, present, and future will be and is. And so with that, let's just take a moment and I'll be right back and we will have a we have a great guest on Vietnam veteran Mike Roman. So if everybody will just stay tuned, we'll be back right after a, a brief moment of silence. Thank you. And we've got Mike on the line, and uh, we welcome him. He's a a member of the J.C. Veterans Association. And uh, as always, our good friend and uh, wonderful director, uh, Rick White, and he's the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And Rick just does an outstanding job. And I challenge anybody to find a nicer guy, nicer retired colonel than Rick White. He is fabulous, and he and Paul uh, have just done a wonderful job of keeping our memories attuned to the wonderful people that have are from Georgia that have served our country so well over so many years and in different capacities. And uh, we certainly salute the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you haven't been there, it's in uh, it's right across the street from the Capitol in the Floyd Building, and it's a great place to go. So with that being said, let's get to our guest, Mike Roman. And Mike's on the line with us. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you, David? I'm doing fine. I'm charged up. Another great Thursday, and um, 
another great guest, courtesy of Mr. White. So, uh, you know, I have a little story about him. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're going to like it. Um, I was not a combat soldier, but I was in Vietnam for 19 months, and for the last seven months, I put men on guard duty with empty M14s because officers were getting shot and fragged for the lack of uh, esprit de corps in Cameron Bay, my second duty station. Um, I'm uh, real sensitive to um, criticisms of the Vietnam War um, because because of the criticisms we were getting back home. They thought it was best to put men in combat zones with empty, empty, empty M14s. But um, the Johns Creek Veterans Association was asked to uh, uh, preview Ken Burns' piece on the Vietnam War. And I went with the then-president, uh, Vic Ackerman, and his uh, girlfriend, Alice Comal. And uh, we were sitting there, and about two minutes into the movie, I, uh, I, I just couldn't sit still anymore. I had to get up and walk around. And uh, I don't know what happened. I, I spaced out. And I uh, felt this hand on my shoulder. And it was Rick. Rick looked at me and he says, you too, huh? And I said, Rick, I said, I just, you know, I just can't take this. This, this guy's lying about what we did and how it happened. And and, and I, I, I just don't know what to do about it, Rick. He says, we'll get through it, Mike. That's the kind of person Rick is. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Rick is the epitome in my opinion of the good samaritan he he's exactly. there to help all the time and uh you know he, he's just an incredible gentleman and uh officer and a gentleman and uh he takes it to the nth degree and he uh, does. i just i appreciate his friendship more than i could ever express to him he's uh uh he's just yes. a great guy Nope. And his son is almost a spin, spinning image of him in more ways than one, too. I, I haven't met his son. I, we've uh, had some, uh, I can't remember, causes, but uh, he's he's also helped. I think I've gotten a couple of emails from him over the year. and uh, But, uh, yeah, and Rick should be extremely proud of him, and I know he is, and the job that he's doing here in Georgia. Uh, yep. And, you know, we, we play a spot, and we'll play it during this in a minute, uh, about, and I always say this, and for those that are tired of hearing me say it, uh, I think his son is, is partially in the recruitment business, and, you know, I think we have the best military in the world, not only from strength now because of uh, President Trump, but also because of the people that are serving and uh like i said i i'm extremely proud of my young son that uh is a major in the air force and the air force was kind enough after him being out of country for uh six years that they have let him i don't know who let the guy back into the united states but now they let him in and uh he is uh he's proudly serving in shaw air force base and uh awesome 
Yeah, Columbia, South Carolina, and and uh, I'm thankful he's back and safe, and uh, and I'm just so very very proud of him. And any parent that has a relative, a son, a daughter, whoever in the military, or has a good friend, they should be extremely proud of them. And we go a step further and say that if you're listening and you're a a uh, young man, young woman graduating from high school or college and you haven't decided what you want to do, or if you're a grandparent or parent listening, suggest the military. The military is incredible, fantastic, and they've got so many opportunities. And with all the opportunities in the military, I can – almost guarantee you that you'll walk out of the military unless you decide to career it which is great too that's what my son's doing but uh if you walk out of the military you will be wanted by so many different businesses uh the training that you get in the military is just beyond words and it's second to none it's second to none exactly so with that i'm sorry go ahead i I, I was going to say i I have a uh a friend Uh, his name is man buoy um he's a vietnamese refugee came to the united states with his mother and father uh, when the ambassador put them on the last helicopter and it was the true last helicopter out of vietnam it wasn't the one from the roof you saw in the movies and all that kind of stuff. It was the last genuine helicopter out of uh, the embassy area. Uh, man has three children, two boys and a girl. Both of his sons have graduated from West Point. Outstanding. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's good. As a, as a Vietnam veteran, I, I feel so proud to say that I know this refugee who has two sons that have graduated from West Point. I mean, I, it, that it, it, an immigrant coming to the United States and hearing that, that's all they should know, that there is a debt that everyone has to pay to their country. And man, Bowie and his family exemplify that. You know, there have been a lot of rocks thrown at the United States about our our policy towards immigrants and you know yet many of them uh, you know I I try to compare myself to some of when they, we had the Vietnamese boat people and all of that uh, if I had gone to Vietnam and tried to set up a business I admit to the fact I don't think I would have made it. Um, no. And yet, these Vietnamese, you know, I know a situation, uh, and this was many years ago, obviously, but where it was like a whole family, like 12 people in a one-bedroom apartment. And, yeah. uh, you know, they sacrifice everything to come to this country. And uh, in some ways, I feel very proud of the country. The country... We didn't let them down. They worked their butts off to do whatever had to be done. And a lot of people don't realize it's still happening. And they're working two and three jobs to make ends meet. And yet they uh, are so proud to be here. 
and our country still comes through. It's a land of opportunity, and uh, you can do, gee, you can have a radio station if you want it. And if you want it bad enough, you can call me, and you can have a whole thing. No. Um, well, you know, uh, I come from kind of a mixed family. My mama's family uh, came over uh, in the in the six, 1600s as indentured uh, uh, servants. And they've done very well. They own a lot of land. The current family owns a lot of land in Mississippi. Uh, and they've served our country in every uh, fight from the French and Indian Wars all the way through. Um, four of my mom's brothers served in uh, World War II. Um, I, I have family members that served in Vietnam as well. One of them should have his name on the wall. He was an MP. His name Bobby Earl Easterling. Um, Anderson was his, his his daddy's name, but uh, I don't know what happened to the to him. But uh, his mother took him in to, to, and just I mean raised him as uh, one of her own with another man. Uh, but Bobby Earl was a, about three years or four years older than me. Went to Vietnam as an MP. And Bobby Earl just wasn't paying attention one day and saw somebody drop a grenade into his Jeep and was a little slow getting out of the Jeep and had some damage to uh, one of his legs. Um, went into the VA, and, of course, the VA doesn't treat the trauma. They, they treat it with drugs and got addicted to it, and uh, Bobby Earl overdosed and, and passed. And Bobby Earl's name should be on that wall. Hmm. It wasn't like he uh, didn't do anything to serve his country. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. You know, it's sort of like the doctors, uh, the doctor that was in today on uh, Doctor's Lounge, uh, Dr. Al Shears, we were talking after his show. And, um, you know... There's so many effects going on right now with the, you know, the pandemic and so forth, and the, and the, uh, you know, and uh, Vietnam veterans may have been fine when they got home, but you know, here it is, fifty years later or whatever, and um, they wake up one morning with PTSD. And uh, our brains and our bodies and everything else, uh, the things that uh, people experienced in Vietnam can come back to, I don't like using the word haunt you, but for lack of better words, years and years later. And uh, we're just now realizing that, and I think we're going to have not only a situation on our hands and I'm no doctor by any stretch but I, I do see things happening with folks in the pandemic and I don't know you know where down the road it's going to come back to affect it, it may be worse than the pandemic itself and um, in many cases what you experienced or what Vietnam veterans that were in-country experience in many ways or in some ways was worse than the experience itself as it 
as it welded its scene in your mind, you know? Is that, yes. would you consider that a correct statement? I, I really would, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I belong to a group called Vet Buds, and we met yesterday. And one of our guys was a uh, uh, Navy corpsman and lived in Vietnam with the Marines as a corpsman. He's now a psychologist and practices in the area. And we talked about that that same idea. And uh, what, what I asked him a direct question about was, do, do you think veterans understand death better than civilians? Uh, because we we have truly faced it. And he says, well, he doesn't really believe that statement because it's all individual, but, you know, um, yeah, veterans have more of a chance to face that and come to grips with it than most civilians. And this COVID thing, you know, it's <laughs> less than 1% are dying but everybody's afraid to live because mm-hmm. they might die. But you know, just think for one lousy minute, has anyone ever lived from the beginning? I mean, you know, we're, we're born to die. So why don't you face life, understand what you want to do, go on with it, and don't worry about dying because you're going to die one day anyway. That's right. Nobody gets out of it alive. So just live your life and enjoy it for, jeez. Well, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I've been very blessed that uh, veterans like yourself will put up with me. I'm, as I mentioned to you last night, uh, they've you labeled. do a service that few people can understand, well, David, it, and please don't feel belittled because you didn't go to Vietnam. There's no reason to feel that way. Well, I raised my hand, and I, I did my six years, but like you said, I didn't go to Vietnam, and I never, I never ever say that I did or that uh, I've experienced what, uh, what you all did, but I do appreciate and want people, as I mentioned to you when we talked earlier, uh, it seems like I always learn something from whoever I'm interviewing. Uh, even Submarine Mike taught me some stuff. And uh, I would never admit to Roger Wise teaching me anything. But, uh, you know, no, I love all of you guys. And uh, and I, and we, can't, we do a show called Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And the reason I do it is that... It's amazing the people that if you went up to them on the street and what was Desert Shield? I don't know. You know, <laughs> they have they you know, and it was it was our last war, and uh, you know I don't well, you want, know, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't want people to forget that or Afghanistan or anything that our great military has done to keep us free. Exactly, but you know. Um, World War II, a large population in the United States supported that. When Korea came, a whole whole lot less people got involved. And I don't know what the percentage of the population that served during the Korean War in Korea, but um, 5% of the available population served in Vietnam. 
1% has served in Afghanistan and Iraq. In, uh, uh, Iraq. 1%. So what, you know, that's a much longer war. It's a much more grisly war. There's no jungle, but, you know, the, the, the environment is just as bad because of the heat. Um, but 1% now supporting our country? It's sickening. And it truly is. I, uh, and I'll take on anybody that wants to be taken on regarding why. And my conclusion on why is our poor, poor, poor educational system that doesn't, you know, if you went up to anybody today and I don't mean to be getting into politics but it's true you go up to a kid today and you say what is what is socialism they wouldn't have a clue well, what leads mm-hmm. to communism they wouldn't have a clue mm-hmm. well what what does the flag mean to you nothing um, and I, I can't stand it and I blame our educational system that you know I was a patriot from the first grade, and we said the Pledge of Allegiance and one nation under God. And I, I think that uh, our liberal politicians have tried to ruin the country. And we want to know why we are only looking at 1% serving, because they don't understand how wonderful this country is. And what? Why would why would I join the military and die for my country? That seems sort of stupid. Or you know, why not burn the flag? It doesn't mean anything. And yeah. I, as I mentioned to you, I think I I pray that I never drive up on or walk up on somebody messing with my flag. Uh, I don't know what I'll do. Um, and it's it's a shame that kids. We wouldn't have the problems in Portland and other areas that we have right now if the kids had been taught what patriotism is and how important the United States is. And I don't mean to be up on a soapbox, and I get criticized for talking too much, but, Mike, you tell me what you think. I, I, I totally agree. Um, my, my dad's family, my dad's a first-generation American. I've said that before. My mom's, you know, family have have gone back to the French and Indian Wars they fought. My uncles, my mom's brothers and sisters uh, were in the Army. My mom is an Army Air Corps nurse. My dad was a B-29 pilot in uh, World War II. My uncle on my dad's mother's side came from Poland was here for two months, spoke little English, joined the army, and went to France. He was defending our his new country. He'd only been in for two months. Wow. Um, that doesn't exist anymore. Hey. And I... I fail to understand why more people can't understand that there is a duty when you, as a citizen of this, of these United States, you have a duty 
to protect and serve this country, regardless of what your politics are, regardless of what you think. We can't maintain being the best country in the world until we understand that we're the best country in the world. It takes, And I don't understand a better way of doing it than serving your country in some capacity. It takes education. And yes, it does. So many, you know, dedicating three pages to World War II does not teach anything. Dedicating one page in a history book to World War One doesn't teach anything. And in a, in a paragraph or two about Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. It's appalling, and uh, you know the. As, you know what? I wish we could have taken cameras with us and gone on to these villages and filmed what really goes on in these villages and sent them back. And Walter Cronkite or who would ever have the guts to show it. When we left, that country was better off than it was before we got there. Look at Vietnam now. It's incredible when you give a give those people a sense of understanding what their duties are to their country as well, and getting off their butts and doing it. Yeah, there's communism in, in Vietnam right now, but there's more capitalism than communism. And people don't understand that. The streets are now paved all throughout Vietnam. <laughs> they weren't when I was there. You got to eat the dirt, huh? Yes, we did. You know, and I, I this is this is, it's, it breaks my heart actually because I see it day in and day out. With almost every show that we do, and by the way, if if you all want, if whoever's listening wants to become a part of this, just go to, uh, and I want to thank the people that have become patrons and uh, have given to the station to hear guests like Mike and and, uh, shows like the Doctor's Lounge and all the rest. And I want to thank the people that have signed up to give 10, 15, 50 bucks a month, whatever it is. And um, we do appreciate it because that's what keeps us on the air. But, you know, it's, again, we have have the most ability to learn almost anything. I, I am always amazed at, well, Google... Yeah, da 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 da, and it pops up, you know, the answer. Yep. And yet, yeah, we're too lazy in many cases to look up the truth or to look up a subject. And there in front of you on that screen is the answer, and you can dig into it more if you want to. And we're too lazy to do it. And it's uh, now, like like Hal Shear, Dr. Shear said on the show today, we have uh, approximately 320 million experts on COVID-19. <laughs> you know, but like he was pointing out, people have been worried about it, so they've gone on their computer and become experts unto themselves. And yeah. in, like he said, too, in many ways, uh, they know as much as the doctors do. If it's out there, it's out there, and you can read about it. But we can yeah. do that about Vietnam and World War II and what it means to be a patriot. And uh, I wish people would. Uh, me too. But, you know, along that subject, I, I have been very fortunate. I, I had some of the best teachers in the world. I've had some of the – well, I know I, 
I know the best mentors in the world because they mentored me. You know, in the, in the first one, my first mentor was Mrs. Brown when I went to uh, kindergarten in, in, at Snow, Snow School in Dearborn, Michigan. Well, at first, I grew up in Detroit on Tyreman and Cloverlawn Avenue. Um, five, you know, for the five, four houses in front of us. There was not one born an American uh, in any of those homes. Five houses down from my house, there may have been one or two American-born people because those were the kids, kids my age. My mom and dad were the only one, and my brother and I were the only ones born in America in that house. And we had my brother and I, one generation, mom and dad, another generation, my dad's father and my dad's mother, a third generation, and my grandmother's father, another generation. And the only generations born in the born in the United States were my brother and I, my mom and dad. That's the way it used to be. So, you know, you got educated about other people and other events. And I guess some people in education decided, oh, that's not such a good thing. Why, why do we want others to learn about the horrors in other places? We'll, we'll just not teach any of that. That's, you know, and uh, along with... with uh our educational system comes the fact that parents today were not educated and didn't haven't passed on. My dad, like yours, was my dad was a naval commander and uh, served in World War II, and uh, you know he taught me the values and and I appreciate it. And uh, I can't imagine. And this this is the two things that we we salute during this too and. That's we're very so very fortunate today to have our electronics and although my son was in Germany I could see him and talk to him while he was there and uh I I think back when my dad was serving it would be and my mom told me and well my mom and dad both told me you know it would be anywhere from at best 4 weeks and at worst 2 months to get a letter back and forth and you know from one day to the next many many families during world war ii didn't know whether their husband or wife were alive and uh, fortunately by vietnam we had better communications but still there was some of that and today it's it's great to be able to communicate with your loved one wherever they are in the world and uh, you know we just we just have to be very thoughtful of our veterans and and the blessings that we've had as far as the country goes and our military and our veterans. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to preach. We're going to take a quick break, Mike. And, uh, All righty. I need to get off my soapbox anyway or I'll get a complaint from one of your friends. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I am Roger B., host of the Locked and Loaded Show on America's Web Radio. Be sure to join us live every Tuesday at 1500 hours for the latest in gun news, gun products, gun politics, and other gun-related stuff. Oh, sure. That's Tuesday, 1500 hours, America's Web Radio. Yeah. Uh, Mine goes back to Ms. Thompson. But... When I was in kindergarten. But sure, we'll do that. We'll come back and uh, and we'll... Well, good. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on David's Pick on America's Web Radio. And we've got our friend Mike Roman on with us today. And Mike is a uh, Vietnam veteran. And now, Mike, I, I, you know, we talked off the air for a second. And I'll explain the situation in that uh, Mike needed help. So he has had a variety of mentors. And uh, Mike, how about telling us about some of them? Well, thanks for that opportunity. You know, I, I I see myself as the most fortunate person in the world. Um, the, 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 fir- the first person, really, that took me under my wing was my dad's mother's father. He was a uh, um, captain in the... Uh, uh, Oh, geez, which Prussian uh, cavalry and didn't speak English, uh, spoke high German to my grandmother, didn't speak to anyone in the family other than my grandmother because we were all below his station. But he and I played a game during the summer um, when I was maybe five or four. And he was a carpenter and uh, made things in, in, the, in the, my grandmother's garage, and she sold them for him. But he had a, a, a workbench that I now have in my garage that is, doesn't have a nail in it, and it is as sturdy today as it was when he made it in the 20s or 30s. Uh, we played a game, and the game was uh, he'd open the the back porch door for me, unlock it, so it was a screen door I could go through and go to the garage. The garage was open, and his tool his uh, tool table was there, and it had drawers in it. And I'd open the drawers and take his tools out and line them up in order. At least I thought they would be order. And the game was he'd come out with his cane. To the garage, never said a word to me, but would point to a, one of his tools that I had not put in the proper size position and point some other place for it. And then my job was to put it in the right place. And then he'd stand back and look at it, nod, and then take his cane and point back to the drawer, like to say, Now put everything back, you dumb, stupid kid. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know how, how long we played that game, but it's in, it's etched in my memory. Oh, that's great. Couldn't communicate, but w- w- we had fun together. And then uh-huh. Mrs. Brown in grade school. I-, I was a bit dyslexic and still sometimes am. But she taught me the difference between a B and a D. And if you hold your right hand up and hold your thumb up, that's a B. 
And if you put your thumb down and hold your little finger up, that's a D. She taught, she taught me that, and I figured out how to look at other letters like that, know the difference between a B and a D or whatever, whatever. She just took time to teach that to me. Then there was Mrs. Belargin. Uh, my mom had a toxic pregnancy with my third brother, and Mrs. Belargin was uh, uh, a young teacher, and uh, Dad had, you know, his job at Ford Motor Company. He was uh, in the pilot plant and, and going through the changeover engineering for the new models. And Mrs. Belargin would come after school and cook dinner for us and all that kind of stuff. And my dad would come home, Mrs. Belargin go go back home. But she she was my uh, first grade teacher at Ten Eyck in Dearborn. And what a woman! I mean, a very nice person going out of her way to to help us out. And then there was St. Martha's. I went to parochial school. I was raised Catholic. And Sister Thomasine, Sister Selma, I mean, just so many of those women, saints, would take time with me if I'd ask for another book to read or something like that. They just went out of their way to help me. And then there was Father Borkowitz, the parish priest. Uh, He made me an altar boy a year before most kids in, in the grade school got to be altar boys because he and I spoke Polish. And at one of his masses, I think it was in the eighth grade, um, we came back after mass and I asked Father Borkowitz, Father Borkowitz, how come your wine smells like my dad's uh, scotch? And he put his thumb, his finger up to his his, uh, lips and like, shh. (laughs) Which, which, Which to me was incredible. He was drinking scotch when he should have been drinking wine. (laughs) <laughs> but asked me to keep that secret. And then there was uh, St. Xavier. Dad moved the family to Louisville, and I went to grade school. And Mr. Leon Dunnigan, uh, we had discipline in the school, and we got detention tickets if we misbehaved. And Mr. Dunnigan gave me two detention um, tickets uh, and, and the first one was I, I thought I was just asking a good question and not being real familiar with the way a lot of Southerners talk Southerners talk uh, Mr. Dunnigan I had him for health and he said how important it was to crack the window when you were making long drives and I raised my hand I said Mr. Dunnigan wouldn't it be easier just to roll the window down instead of cracking it because you have to crack it, you have to fix it. And I was asking a genuine question. Mr. Dunnigan walked over to me, didn't say a word, wrote, wrote a detention uh, ticket and gave it to me for being a smart-ass in class. <laughs> in my senior year, I had Mr. Dunnigan for English. And uh, at that time, I was you know, uh, uh, trying to be show everyone how smart I was. And he asked me to give the definition of harangue. And I said, a type of pie filling, as in lemon harangue pie. (laughs) And he walked over to me, didn't say a word, took out a detention uh, ticket, and laid it on my desk. Well, I left there, went to uh, D. 
uh, we moved to South Bend. My dad had me enrolled at Notre Dame. I didn't know. I was going to go to the University of Louisville to help my next-door neighbor who was uh, our star football player. His name was Ira Glass. Ira played with the Steelers for a while, but Ira needed some help getting through University of Louisville, and I was going to be paid. I was going to be paid to be his assistant to, I guess, take the test for him, so he could get to through the University of Louisville. Um, but that was just incredible with with what the way that all happened. Uh, went to South Bend, told Brother Raphael I didn't want to go to. Uh, Notre Dame and I wanted to see some of the rest of the world he got me into Indiana University and there was a teacher there an English teacher and I cannot remember her name right now but I um, I got all F's my first semester and I got kicked out of Indiana University Extension School in South Bend and when she wrote me a letter saying you know you're probably going to get expelled but if that happens come see me and I'll help you write a letter get back in and she did hmm. let's, uh, got, let's sort of get to, back to your career and or your vietnam days all right, sure, <laughs> with, with uh, one of the the great memories that you have of your mentors do you can you remember times that you were there or in vietnam maybe they were good times or maybe they were bad times but that uh you thought back over okay i'm here but I remember Ms. Brown, or I remember this person or that person. Did you think about that, and did it help you through Vietnam? Oh, oh yes, Mr. Dunnigan. Oh, um, yes, Mr. Dunnigan was was a special memory, and I thought about him often. And it was it, it, what he taught me was it's okay to joke, but be sure you're ready for the consequences. There was always whatever. All of my experiences always taught me a lesson. Um, Mr. Dunnigan was always on my mind in, in Vietnam. And anyway, um, I, I had the best support when I was in the comm center. Talmadge Moon was a CW3 in our comm center. Sam Albert was a short little E5 that uh, came to us. I, I was part of the crypto maintenance team, and we had a problem that we were trying to solve, and we had these high-top desks, and the crypto men and some of the teletype guys were sitting around the table trying to decide what to do about this problem. And Sam Albert was maybe 5'5 five, five or 5'6, five, came to the table, and uh, me being a smart aleck, he said, I see you guys are working on this problem. And I said, who in the hell said that? And Sam Albert was standing on the other side of the table, but his his hat was above the table. <laughs> and, and so, make a long story short, Sam uh, had me doing some extra duty, because he, he kicked an E8 out of the comm center, who was an alcoholic, and took over the maintenance of the of that shift. He and I are still in touch. Talmadge Moon and I are still in touch. Uh, Richard Amoroso, who was our teletype man, and I are still in touch. John McLean, who was my cube mate, 
uh, I did my extension in Vietnam. He was going to go home to get married. And he told me he wasn't going to get married until I came home from Vietnam. His wife didn't talk to me for five years. Hmm. Uh, but John and I are still in touch. And, you know, we solved problems, not as one man taking on the, the world, but as a group. John was the only fixed teletype maintenance man in, in our area. Mike, we, yeah. we need to uh, take another break right quick, and uh, Alrighty, we'll sure. come back with Mike Roman. And uh, just, you know, as I say every show, too, you were part of the biggest fraternity in the world, and you still are. And the same way with any woman. She's uh, part of the biggest sorority, and that's our military. We'll be back with Mike Roman right after this. The Locked and Loaded Show on America's Web Radio. Be sure to join us live every Tuesday at 1500 hours for the latest in gun news, gun products, gun politics, and other gun-related stuff. That's Tuesday, 1500 hours. To make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. And I want to take this opportunity to once again say that uh, we appreciate all the work that Colonel Rick White does. Uh, He's the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And Rick had asked me to make a special announcement uh, regarding the induction ceremony that was to be held November the 7th, as always, in uh, Columbus, Georgia. But it's been postponed, and a definite new date has not been set yet. And this is obviously due to our coronavirus. but as soon as uh, Rick and Paul and whoever else is involved, the board uh, sets a date. We'll be sure to let you know, and uh, the public is invited. Uh, you can buy a ticket, and and I understand, as Rick White says, the only thing they don't furnish is a box of Kleenex. You have to bring your own box of Kleenex as you're listening to all the great stories like the story that we've been hearing from Mike and many other veterans of all wars. And the inductees always have a, a great story. And, Mike, I'm going to go ahead right now and ask you the hardball question that I mentioned to you last night, I believe it was. But can you name one veteran that can tell one story? about that last night and i think the answer is no (laughs) (laughs) i tell you what if people if somebody hadn't done this and and there are a lot of veterans and again correct me if i'm wrong but there are a lot of veterans that don't like to tell their stories or they don't like to talk about what they did in vietnam or korea or world war ii or whatever but you get six veterans at a table eating and it's hard for one to not bring up one story. Well, when I was in, or when I was this, or I was that, and uh, then somebody else one-ups them, and then it turns into a one-upsman conversation of who has the 
who has the toughest story to tell? Well, you wouldn't believe, and um, I've heard that a few hundred times. Uh, but th- this is the this is the great thing about the fraternity of the military, and that's that two veterans can sit down and talk. And there's, in my opinion, and I'm certainly not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, or I'm just a poor dummy from Texas. But you know, it's it's being able to talk to somebody else that can relate to what you're saying, and. Um, you know, I can relate to uh, the World War II barracks where I did uh, basic and AIT at Fort Ord, and we all know about those World War II shacks. And um, it just, you know, we were, as I was at Fort Ord, I was always jealous. They'd built new dormitories literally for uh, uh, people that were coming in for basic. And uh, why didn't I get one of those? Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, uh, you know, let me add to your to your comments there. Um, I told about Sam Albert and Richard Amoroso and Talmadge Moon, and uh, there's there's a two or three others that we we rag on each other's mercilessly. And if you if you were an outsider and you heard. Um, Richard Amoroso going after Sam Albert or Sam Albert going after Richard Amoroso you'd think you can't leave those two guys alone in a room (laughs) but Richard had Sam's back and Sam had Richard's back and you know that group that core group uh, there's emails every day one calling the other some kind of an idiot for believing in something. I'm collecting all of those, and I'm going to write a book. It says, and, and, and the book is going to be something like how two people can be assholes and still love each other. Because <laughs> I think one of the most important things that is not understood right now is, yeah, there's a division. But guess what? That's an ideological division. Doesn't mean you have to hate that person. Doesn't mean you have to dislike that person. Just means you should listen to him or her. Yeah. Because you might pick up something new that you didn't understand before. I just And that's what those Mrs. Brown taught me, that's what Mrs. Belargin taught me, that's what Sister Selma, Sister Thomasine taught me. And uh, you know that all has added to to what I have learned. George Plossel is the the apex person who developed this process with uh, Joseph Orlicky and Ollie White about material requirements planning, which is the set the whole manufacturing industry in a new direction. Because you can plan what you need to make, you can plan the machines that need to go on, you can plan to plan. And guess what? Joseph Orlicky and uh, didn't get along too well with uh, Ollie White. And Ollie White and George Plasso were the best of friends until Ollie started fooling around with his secretary. Hmm. They still worked together very well, but they just weren't friends. We've lost that as a nation. Mm-hmm. 
I, you're in Michigan, right? Or you grew up in Michigan? I grew up in Detroit, and, yes. Okay, well, I, I've got a Michigan story. A basic, okay. when I was in uh, basic, uh, we had a, he was huge, Michigan football player was in my platoon. And I can't remember his name, but he was, he was a big boy. Uh, not the brightest bulb in the box, but a big boy. And so we were lined up. We had, uh, double timed over to the, um, medical center and, uh, we were getting our shots. And I'm sure that in your career, you got a few air shots. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So anybody that's out there listening, they know what an air shot is. So, we're lined up to get our, our first dose of something, whatever it was, to get ready to, if we were called on, we could go wherever in the world, I guess. But anyway, so we're all lined up, and, and the medic says, okay, you're barely going to feel this, and he shot a blast across the room. And uh, we walk in the door, and this this Michigan football player faints dead away. <laughs> they thinking about oh my gosh they're gonna shoot me with that thing you know <laughs> so i mean he he went down like a folded tent and um you know we couldn't help but like you said you start ragging on a guy so he he was in the lower bunk and in, in our barracks and uh and upstairs and um the old thing of hand and warm water that's true. <laughs> and we, oh, we gave that guy just, oh, and, and, but he was always, I mean, he could have probably taken on the whole platoon if he had wanted to, you know, but, yes. uh, we, we gave him, we gave him something to think about, but it, it was funny. And, but when he fainted as we were getting our air shots, and here I am about, about a fourth of his size and i just took in the arm and kept on moving you know and uh anyway so you can appreciate well, I, the air shot so i i gotta say a little bit about the, my di um when i was in basic training his name was leo elliott and um he was he was a very good di he demanded excellence and that's all you gotta say mm-hmm. um i First, the first uh, assembly, and they they give you your caps and stuff. This is your cover. Mm-hmm. You never go outside without your cover. Mm-hmm. Well, first assembly. Guess what? Yeah, you forgot your cover. I forgot my cover. You know what that meant? I was our company. Uh, excuse me, battalion's road guard. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit overweight. When I got there, I was about five foot six and a half. Uh, and being in the third platoon, I had to run up to where the first platoon was and catch it. With a guide on. Uh-huh. And then when the last platoon would pass, I'd have to run back to my station and then only to run up to the next stop sign to road guard there. Mm-hmm. When I graduated basic, I was five foot nine, weighed one hundred and twenty-five pounds. <laughs> that's and that's thanks to Leo Elliott. Well, you know, we couldn't eat until we went through the horizontal ladder. Oh, do you remember those? 
Oh yeah. So we got we got to be uh, scratching some people's memories right now, and uh, this is what it's all about. And I love it. And and the military. No matter, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I graduated from college and, uh, you know, I had a lot of other experiences as an EMT and so forth. But there's no experience like the military. And I don't think there ever will be. And I, as I mentioned to you the other day when we were talking is that, you know, every now and then I'll be sitting and, and a light will go on in my peanut brain that now I understand why they made us do that. At the time, why in the hell are we doing this? But, you know, 50 yep. years later, the light comes on, and our military has had so much time to perfect everything and to know how to get somebody's attention and turn, well, like they say, turn a boy into a man. And uh, I, the folks that don't go through military training, I feel sorry for because it's – it winds up being the best experience you can have in life, in my yes. opinion. Well, I went through uh, AIT, and well, let me go back to basic for one one comment. Um, I I scored real high. Um, I enlisted and had a choice of service, of branch and whatever in school, and there was some talk about sending me to OCS. And I had to sit down with uh, Sergeant Elliott, and he explained to me, you know, after you go to AIT and you get about, you know, three or four weeks into it, and you go to your company commander and tell your company commander you want to go to OCS, and they're going to send you to OCS. Well, I think that's all, that's true for most classes. But I was in crypto maintenance. And after you got through your, your basic electronics training, you got classified and you and we had top secret uh, clearances because we had with crypto access I did not know at the time but we weren't going anywhere we were going through crypto school <laughs> but anyway um, Sergeant Elliot took a, a liking to me and I'd always which seemed like always but I'd get called down to his office and I'd have to stand outside his office his door was open he'd talk, be talking to another DI and one time he said well you know and I was standing outside the door and I knew he knew I was there and, and um, they were talking about the bivouac and Sergeant Elliott said do you think anybody's going to be smart enough to climb up in the trees and ambush us when we come in that's all I had to hear. <laughs> so when we went on bivouac, I made my squad take off their boots and put a blanket, put them under a blanket with the boots outside the tent. And we climbed up into the tree without our without shoes. And we got behind some of the stumps in the trees, and it was springtime, so some of the leaves were out. Mike, I'm going to have to interrupt you. We're out right. of time. And, uh, oh, my goodness. I've got one last question for you. Will you come back? Yes, sir. All right. And uh, thank you for being on, and we look forward to uh, the next time you visit on America's Web Radio. Thank you, thank Mike. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, Take care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.